Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight here live on Golf Talk Live. I appreciate everybody uh, joining in on the conversation. Uh, as mentioned, we're going to be starting off here in just a moment uh, with the Coach's Corner panel, a uh, favorite of many of you uh, tuning into the show, and I'm going to introduce the guys here in just a minute. And then a little bit later on the show, I'm going to be joined by my special guest this evening, David Breslow. He is the uh, founder of Performance uh, Success Strategies and the creator of Wired to Win. He's going to be joining me on the second half of the program. Uh, but again, thank you, everybody, for joining me. And I want to say a special thanks to the sponsor uh, this season of the Coach's Corner panel, GolfSwing.com. And here's just a little bit about our sponsor. Uh, GolfSwing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Together, they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then you want to join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. So be sure to enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at the checkout and save up to 50% off the subscription price. So join today, watch, practice, and improve your game. And again, thanks to the folks at GolfSwing.com for sponsoring uh, this season's Coach's Corner panel. All right, as I mentioned, we've got a great uh, group coming on, uh, the Coach's Corner panel. Let me introduce the guys, and then we'll get into tonight's discussion. Uh, first up is uh, Bill Abrams. He's a PGA professional and the 2017 and 18 uh, Central Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year, as well as the 2015 uh, Illinois PGA Professional of the Year and uh, owner and director of Instruction uh, Golf Solutions Academy at uh, Balmero Woods in Crate, Illinois. And you'll find him in the winter uh, sunning himself and giving some great lessons at the Grand Palms Resort at Pembroke Pines in Florida. Also joining out the uh, group tonight is Brian Dobby. He is a, also a PGA teacher professional at the Montclair uh, Golf Club in New Jersey. Uh, Brian has been a PGA member since 1994 and a golf professional since 91. Uh, teaching uh, golf, of course, is a passion of his, both the mechanical side and physical side. Uh, he has been teaching at Montclair Golf Club for many years now, which is home to a very good and outstanding junior program that continues to grow each and every season. Rounding out the panel, of course, is Pete Buchanan, the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which of course houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And Pete has been teaching for well over 30 years now, uh, helping all of you uh, improve in your game. All right, guys, uh, welcome and thank you for joining me tonight on Coach's Corner. Thanks a lot, Ted. Thanks, Great Ted. to be on the show again. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Pleasure to be here again, as always. All right. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, always giving of your time. And uh, a special thanks to Brian uh, Dobby, because I know this is going to be your last show of the season. And uh, I know the other guys are on pretty regularly, but uh, you managed to uh, join us a few times throughout the season. I really appreciate you doing that. So I hope uh, you'll have a great uh, holiday season, and we'll wish all of you that uh, as we close out the program. Um, all right. We're going to start uh, tonight uh, with a little bit of a uh, a different discussion. We've talked about some of this stuff before, but we're going to unpack it a little bit more. And I'm going to ask the same question to each of you. 
because I want to kind of get your different uh, viewpoints, if you will. I know there's going to be some similarities, but uh, I think we can kind of unpack a little bit together here. And one of the first questions that I, I think I've got for you guys, and this is one that, you know, we, we talk about a lot in this uh, industry. We try to, you know, wrap our minds around what we do. But the truth of the matter is, despite taking multiple lessons, many golfers still seem to struggle with their game. Um, and I'm going to start, if you don't mind, Bill, with you. Why do so many golfers sort of fall into this category? What's, what's going on that despite giving some great lessons, many, many golfers are having a tough time? Well, I think uh, we have to look at it as a team. The coach and the player have to be on the same wavelength. And really, to me, one of the things that I try to do with players is, is define and clarify exactly what has to go on with them for them to hit good shots. And I think one of the problems is, you know, somebody will say to me, I'm trying to take it straight back. Define that. What do you mean by that? And they really can't tell you. So I think that right in there is a, is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a touch on it that uh, the communication has to be absolutely tailored to that individual. So they're going to be able to get the most out of their, their training session and then be able to take it and put it into play on the golf course. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think communication is vital uh, between teaching professional and or coach uh, and their students. And I think sometimes, um, by really no fault of either party, I think sometimes they may not always be in sync. And Brian, I know uh, you teach a lot of members at Montclair, and I'm sure this happens uh, you know, from time to time where things for some reason just aren't gelling. Um, what is your thoughts in that, uh, in that area? I mean, I know you give a lot of lessons up there at Montclair, and I know you're a, a very accomplished uh, teacher professional, but sometimes the, the, the cylinders are just not firing uh, uh, together. So what is your take on this? Why do you think so many golfers fall into the same category? Ted, that's a great question. The, the first two things that came to mind was, the first one is I think most amateurs just have too much information out there, you know, and they, they, they don't rely on what their coach is, is telling them, and they, they rely on their friends and, and magazines and YouTube and stuff. And, and as you know, trying to learn this game, it, it's, it's harder than it should be. And I think it comes from too much information um, and overload. And, you know, one day they're trying this and one day they're trying that. So I think that's one part of it. And then the other thing is what are they practicing? You know, are they practicing things that will really make them better or are they practicing things that are just repetitive to hit a golf ball? You know, I, I stress the short game a lot up at Montclair and, um, you know, a, a 30, 30 yard wedge shot. I, I want all my students learning how to pitch a ball from those distances because, as you know, we're all missing greens from that distance, as opposed to standing on the range and hit, hitting driver after driver after driver or seven iron. That just doesn't translate to what happens on the golf course um, in terms of scoring. So those were the two two thoughts that came to my mind, Ted. Right. Well said, uh, Brian. Um, Pete, you know, I, I know that you have really patterned your teaching philosophy on keeping it simple. And I think that's crucial. I think sometimes, as, as both Bill and Brian have alluded to, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of information floating out there uh, that the golfer is exposed to. We're going to talk about that in the next question. But you've tried to keep it as simple as possible in, in a lot of your teaching philosophy. Talk about, again, uh, where what you're seeing and what's happening between the teacher where's the disconnect in your opinion well i think the 
both guys have hit on some great points so far. You know, communication is important. Um, no, no overload of the information that they have. You know, how are they practicing? Um, you know, both being on the same wavelength. I mean, these are great points. What I what I was trying to do with mine is to make sure that they understand cause and effect and how it relates specifically to them, not what they're reading in the magazines, not what their friends are telling them, but how their ball flight and their contact relates directly to them, and not only from uh, an endpoint of, of what's going on, but how do they fix it? So how do they go about it in the simplest fashion to make it an easy fix when they're playing so they can, if they're falling apart a little bit per se, they've got some things they can do to sort of get themselves around and finish. And, and I and I do like, you know, talking about the short game. You know, there's a difference between hitting balls and scoring. And it's getting them to understand the, the difference between those two. And I think that's where some of the disconnect can be because they can hit some good shots, but they really don't understand how to score with those shots. And so I think getting them to understand that, you know, you don't have to hit perfect shots to shoot low scores, but you do have to hit shots that you can control and you have to understand, you know, how to get the ball in the hole in the, in the quickest and simplest way possible. So not ignoring those short game shots is, is important, but I think where I found the most success is making sure that they, they really understand exactly what's going on with their own game. And so that it can make it a little bit more simple and uh, less thought process when they go to play. Uh, great point. And, and you know, it, it goes to really, I, I think, and I agree 100% right across the board with, with all three uh, responses to that. Um, but I think, you know, Pete, you, you really touched on something here, and that is I think most golfers, uh, and I'm obviously talking about our amateur golfers, are more concerned with technique. In other words, hitting that perfect golf shot as opposed to scoring or learning to play the game. And I think this is something that even as coaches and teach professionals, not so much in today's modern game, but certainly in, in years past, I think we maybe even spent a lot more time on the technique uh, with some of our, uh, our golfing uh, students and that to the point where they really weren't understanding how to make it all come together when they get out in the golf course. So, you know, that's been a transition that's been happening for, for quite some time now where we're getting them more on the golf course, learning how to play the game, uh, Pete, as you put, learning how to score, and that's crucial. And uh, I think this is something that, um, you know, it, it's always a, a constant adjustment, I think, uh, in this industry. So, uh, but great answers, guys. All right, I'm going to start with, uh, I think we'll go Brian this time and then uh, Pete and then uh, Bill. Um, Brian, you actually touched on this. You talked about YouTube and things like that. There are literally endless YouTube videos, um, all kinds of biomechanics, swing theories uh, are, are virtually a plenty out there. Uh, is this just a lot of hype, what they're seeing, what, what the average golfer is seeing on the Internet? Um, and is it confusing, uh, frustrating the average golfer, do you think, as you said, this sort of information overload? Well, I, I don't know if it's, if it's hype or not. I, I believe it all. It's you know, you could look at 10 different styles of teaching and in my mind, they're all right because they've got students that can do what they're, what they're teaching. Um, but for the average player, um, I just, I just think it, it, it hinders more than helps because number one, when you're standing in front of a teacher, that per that teacher can look, is looking at you and can see exactly what you need as opposed to, you know, going and looking at it yourself on, on the Internet. 
And how do you know it applies to you? That's just, that's my problem with all this information out there. And um, I, I just, I just think if players um, kept it more simple, like Pete was talking about, you know, the, they'll be better off, but for some reason they're just, we're attracted to the internet. We have a phone in our pocket, you know, all this information, the, the magazines we get golf magazine, golf digest, there's just a lot out there. It's hard to stay away from it, but if you're, if you can stay away from it and rely on your coach to to coach you, I think in the long run, you're going to be way better off playing this game. Yeah, I I agree. uh, Brian, well said. Um, you know, Pete, it, it also goes to, uh, and obviously I'm throwing the same question to you, but it, it also goes to, I think, um, you know, even some of the physical swing aspects, you know, and I mentioned biomechanics and things. Obviously, there are certain constants, certain things that have to be uh, applied in the golf swing. Obviously, impact position has to be uh, the way it is in order to successfully hit the shot. But the problem is that, as as Brian was sort of alluding to, is – you know, when you're watching all of this other information, yeah, there's nothing wrong with different tech, uh, teaching techniques and things like that. Uh, what might work for you might not work for somebody else. But a lot of the players out there get so much information and then try to sort of create a, their own melting pot of, of, you know, a tip from here and, a, and, a, and some advice from over here. And I think this is where a lot of the confusion has. So when you're working with your students, obviously I know you do uh, a lot of online stuff as well as in person. How do you sort of sift through that or help them sift through that so that they're not getting bombarded with too much information? I think one of the things you can do is, you know, talk to them and, uh, about what they're trying to do. And then I always ask them the golden question, how well is that working for you? And, you know, in many cases, you know, well, I tried this, but, you know, I'm not doing very well. So that's a pretty good sign that this is probably not something you should try then. And, you know, try to teach them how to, how to sort of wade through the water and get around all of this information that's out there and bring them back to, you know, what parts of these are going to best fit you and what you can accomplish. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be on the, at the age I'm at and the amount of time I've taught, I've gone from both, you know, the, the simplest of, of techniques all the way into the complicated biomechanical and all the different movements. And, you know, it's given me the opportunity to help wade through all that stuff while it's all good information but how to wade through it to pinpoint it back to the individual so that they can understand how these particular points are going to best suit them and then teach them how to take that information and simplify it down so it fits what they're trying to do, but also that it actually is something that they need to do based on, you know, what their impact and what their you know, personal mobility and all that stuff is. So we can, we can sort of give them an idea of, of how to, you know, bring it back to each one of them individually. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, you know, Bill, the other thing too, um, you know, in addition to all of this information, I think a very important thing, we've, we've all sort of talked about this many times on the show, and that is to really understand why, first and foremost, the student is there to begin with. Obviously, they're interested in playing golf, um, but what is their core purpose uh, and what is their core goal? Are they looking to you know, just go out and, and play recreationally, or they're looking to, you know, take it to that next level. And I think understanding the players, why they're there in the first place, helps you as a coach to sort of uh, put that, that perfect plan together. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, again, there's a lot of information out there, 
I think the first step, don't you agree, is to really find out why they're there in the first place. Absolutely, Ted. And uh, that's one of the things with the new player interviews. You know, I go down the list and ask them what they do, what they do good enough, what they could do, what they feel they could do better, and what they do absolutely best, the thing that they have the most confidence in. And again, if we can figure out where that area is, and you know, if it's kind of prying, I'll ask them, I said, if there was one shot that I could help you with right this moment that you would play more golf and have more fun, what is it? And, you know, it comes down, it may be more than just one shot, but that's a starting point. And I feel that a lot of times, you know, with, with all the information out there, as everybody was saying, it gets muddled up so much. And there's a lot of assumptions made. Even if you watch a lot of YouTube videos and, you know, tips and magazines, it's not real. There's a lot of assumptions made. And as I've told one of my uh, old uh, buddies that's a uh, retired trial attorney from Mississippi, I said, George, you made an awful lot of money on other people's assumptions in your life, didn't you? And he goes, yes, I did. <laughs> and, you know, that's where it kind of goes sometimes with a lot of those tips that, uh, you know, there's some things that are assumed and it might not fit right. a, an individual or their 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 interpretation style, and it's it's really a, ba- a bad situation for them. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that as well. And, and you know, um, Cindy Miller, who I know all of you uh, are familiar with, uh, who, of course, is an LPGA professional and also an LPGA player, um, you know, she always talks about this on uh, our, mon- our Tuesday morning shows, uh, the women of golf. And that is the, the, really the why, you know, why are you there? What, you know, again, what's your goal and what's your purpose? And I think that goes into the initial um, interview process. And I think something else too, that, and we, again, we've talked about this as well. I think the student really needs to interview their teaching professional. And it's not just a matter of, you know, what credentials they may or may not have, but you need to be able to communicate effectively, as we've talked about earlier, um, between one another. Because if there isn't that sort of chemistry there between teacher and student, then it's going to be very, very hard as a teacher professional to be able to give a lesson to somebody that you know is not really receiving the messages the way you, you would like them to. And conversely, for the student as well, if they're not really in sync with the teacher professional, uh, it, it's going to be like two uh, you know, opposing gears sort of grinding against one another. And it's to no fault of, of, uh, of either party, but I think it's something that, uh, you know, th- it's not just a matter of, well, the doors are open, come on and take a golf lesson. I think sometimes people need to do a little bit. If, if, if there was anything that they need to do online, uh, and that is to research a little bit about who they're taking their lessons from and talk to some friends and buddies that maybe have taken lessons from the local pro and, uh, and see how their experience was. Um, great answers, though, guys. Um, Pete, I'm, I think uh, you're up next uh, to start things off. Um, so here's my question for, for you to start things off. Uh, realistically, how much time should be spent practicing if golfers really want to improve? That's the first part of the question. And the second part, part is, or is it a matter of understanding what really causes difficulties, like the me- mental in- insufficiencies? Um, so there's really two parts to this question. Is it a matter of just going out there and, and beating balls and practicing to, to get better? Or are there other things like what's going on between their ears that may be affecting their play? No, that's another great question. You know, I think it's a combination of the two. Um, you know, I try to get it to where their practice time is efficient and that's really, you know, what makes it more valuable to them instead of just beating balls. It really doesn't do you, you know, that good a deal if you don't have a, a purpose to it 
So first of all, mm-hmm. that they understand what their practice is all about and that they are always always have a goal each time that they go out to practice to what is the goal of this session and, and to achieve that goal of that individual practice session. But, yeah, the, the, the hard part, too, is, you know, they have to understand, you know, how the practice sessions are going to fit into how they're going to go play. And I think it's, it's more of, of being well-rounded in those practice sessions so that they're not just hitting, you know, full shots. They're incorporating all the areas of the game. You know, I put in a, a, a session that a lot of them have fun with. It's trouble shots. And I, I take them around and, and have them hit from the goofiest places you could ever imagine. And they always say, well, why are you doing this? I said, well, I've seen you here before. So I want to make sure you know how to get out of it. You know, and they, they sort of him and haw at the beginning. But in the end, they're all like, oh, yeah, you know, I have been here before. And I said, you know, it's funny. Would, would you look at, especially from us as, as teachers and players, the, the type of things that we practice. But when we play well, we don't have any of those. But it's important that we understand that that piece of practice has a direct fit into making our overall games better. So there's a reason why it's there. So I try to get them to understand these different practice sessions that I'm giving them, the importance of them, and how they're going to benefit from this particular practice in making their overall game better. Yeah, uh, I agree again 100%. Um, You know, Bill, this is an area, too, that – you know, a lot of people struggle with, you know, they can hit a decent ball, but when it comes time to put it all together, something up in their head just kind of interferes. It, it you know, it's almost like a, uh, a mental block, if you will. They get over the ball and they've got 20,000 things running through their head and they just can't seem to stay focused. There are obviously some things that, that you, uh, I'm sure, do uh, with your students to help sort of unclutter the, the, the drain, if you will, uh, and get them focused on the task at hand. Maybe give us an example, uh, if you can. Yeah, it's a great point. We know we hear a lot about having a quiet mind. And, you know, anybody that's competed at anything at a high level uh, knows that your mind really never gets quiet. It gets organized. And I think that's the biggest thing that we have to look at um, is having a very good pre-shot routine and a post-shot routine that's extremely organized. It's not haphazard. It's not, you know, a little this time, a little that time. It's continually doing the same thing repetitively over. As I tell people all the time, I said there's two things we can do consistently as golfers. Number one is stand up to the golf ball consistently correctly, and number two is think consistently. Really, after that, there aren't too many things that we have a 100% control of that we can do consistently. Those two things hand-in-hand will allow a player to do their best. And, again, the the organization is a big thing, and I really don't like to even call it – a pre-shot routine so much as preparation or organization prior to a shot or in a practice session, you're organized, you're able to measure, you're gamifying some of the practice. So you've already practiced pressure. So when you're on the golf course and have a shot, it's almost like you have a callus to that and you've worn it out already. Right, right, exactly. Um, Brian, you know, this is something too that, um, you know, and again, I know we're, we're, we're all sort of on the same page on this one, but practicing, as Pete talked about, practicing with the purpose. I mean, you uh, teach up at the Montclair Golf Club in New Jersey, which is a, a great uh, facility. It's been around for, for many years. And obviously you're working with not only young junior golfers, but some veterans of the game that have been around for a while. And as I always, you know, Cindy and I always joke about on the show uh, together is a lot of people come to the practice tee uh, pulling along their baggage. 
They've got you know two or three suitcases worth of baggage they're bringing to the lesson tee, uh, and they wonder why they can't get organized. Maybe give us an example of some things that you do uh, in order to stay focused. And when it comes to actual practice time, what do you suggest that they do in order to get the, the, the maximum benefit from their practice? Ted, great, great question. And, and I'm, I'm writing down notes here, guys, because I'm learning a lot <laughs> from both of you. This is awesome. <laughs> Ted, uh, for, for the practice, uh, okay, I got a player coming to the range. He's, he's overloaded, stuff like that. When I get into that situation, sometimes I try to get my student off the range. Um, if, if they got too much going on, the lesson's not going well, we can't focus. Okay, let, let's go do something else and, and focus on the process. What's the process here? I think most of my players and most amateurs focus on the results, okay? And, and tour players, they focus on how do I hit this shot as good as I can right now and what's the process? So I, I try to get their mind um, organized. That's a good, that was just a great answer. Um, into the process of what it takes to execute this shot as good as I can right now in this moment. And, and if it's a mundane process, but it, that's how it is in golf. All you have is that one shot in front of you. So that's number one, focus on the process. Um, and then in terms of, you know, how much time you should spend and what you should spend it on practicing, you know, Montclair has 36 of the hardest greens out there and I call it the 50 yards and in golf course if you can't get make a three or less from from our course from around 50 yards and in you're going to be making doubles and triple bogeys all day and and so I'll throw I'll take them out on the course throw balls in certain areas let me see you make a three or less from here depending on the player and get that mindset going when they see that ball around the green you know, can they pitch it on either through the air or on the ground and make a three or less? It, and I think it's it's changing their mindset a little bit uh, as what's it going to take for them to score better? Okay, we're in this situation. We've practiced it 100 times. Oh, this is what Brian was talking about. Let's get back into the process of what shots do I hit here, the trajectory and stuff like that, and can I make, make a three? I, I get, so that's your goal, your process. You know, I, I just think the range isn't always the best learning environment for a lot of players. Learning this game, I think you can learn more when you're on the golf course. This technical stuff of the swing you can learn on the range, but learning to play and get the ball in the hole, you can't learn that on the driving range. That, I, I've been teaching this game for 30 years, and, and most of my best lessons are playing lessons on the golf course, you know, club selection, the lie, what kind of shot you're trying to hit, all those things go into the equation. So I would start with that, Ted. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, I think you have to provide a distraction. Um, you know, when somebody comes and it's very apparent, um, you know, that there's a lot going on and it could be a myriad of things, you know, we're obviously not there to, to psychoanalyze anybody but when there's a lot going on, sometimes you just have to remove them um, from the current situation and get them into something that's less stressful, less uh, going to create less anxiety for them, and then regroup a Correct. little bit more uh, assertively at, at a different point. Um, and even some cases, I've even gone to the extent, if I know somebody 
you know, I, I teach a lot of executives, and if I know that they've got a lot going on, maybe big presentations coming up and things like that, I'll actually even suggest we reschedule the session because I don't want to bring them out there if they've got a huge presentation to put together and that's what they're thinking about because they're not going to give me sure. their best. And I want them to, you know, I want them to come there and, and be relaxed and enjoy the experience and have a good time. But I know that if they've got things going on, um, whether it be at work or even at home, that is going to be a major distraction. There's really very little that you can do as a teach professional. And again, that's not our job. We're not the professionals in that area. That's something that they need to, to sort of reorganize. Um, Pete, I want to start this one off with you. This is kind of a, I guess, an industry question, if you will, and it goes like this. Um, there's a lot of time, in fact, much time is being spent initiating junior clinics uh, or the next generation of golfers, which I think we can all support. But I want to ask you, what about the millions of golfers that are already playing? Are we as an industry focusing much of our efforts in one direction. In other words, are we sort of more going towards the next generation and maybe omitting or forgetting as an industry some of the people that are already here? What are your thoughts? Well, there's a lot to that. You know, we always have to continue to grow the game, and I don't necessarily think it has to always be from the from the youngest level. You know, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, my my kids are – 27 and 30 and, and I ask them all the time in that age range you know about golf you know what do you think you know what would be something that we could get you more interested in playing the game and get them to you know come up with some ideas and, and, and helpful things to get that age we playing but also you know we've got a lot of the ones that are retiring now too so I think you know you have to look at all the areas to continue to grow the game obviously the little ones are, are always going to be good because you want to get them started off early and i think the earlier mm-hmm. they can start the the more time they'll spend in it but i i do think you know really i, I it's funny you asked it because i had this conversation today and it was really about the the overall masses and, and it goes back to to you know for me keeping the information simple and uh, you know I, i've always tried to do that and i think we have a better chance of, of keeping the information for the, for the masses of players that play. And, and I'm talking the ones that are, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 handicaps. I mean, they need to keep things really in, in a simple perspective and to make the game more enjoyable for them. Um, we all, none of us like hitting bad shots on the golf course. That stinks to go out there and hit it bad. I mean, it, it's just, dumb. Right. you know, no matter, no right. matter what level you are. And so just to get them to understand that, you know, how to make it so they can hit, Simple, solid shots. They don't have to go in the right direction. But, you know, you, you, it amazes me sometimes when I'll, I'll have somebody and they'll hit a solid shot that goes 40 yards offline and they're ready to do cartwheels. They think it's the greatest thing in the world because they haven't hit one solid in three weeks. And so, right. you know, it's just a matter of getting them to understand, you know, a little bit about making the game more simple, more easier for them to play more exciting for them to play and try to figure out, that's my son all the time. I said, how can we make this more fun? You know, how can we make it more enjoyable and trying to, you know, take that same idea to every level of, of golfer that's out there. So, yeah, I, I think you're right as an industry. I think we need to, we need to pay attention to everybody. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Bill, the reason why I, I pose this question, um, you know, for the most part, most uh, in the golf profession, you know, certainly want to encourage and bring new young golfers, uh, you know, to the fold, if you will. 
Uh, and that certainly we, we all do our fair share of teaching uh, some of our seniors and, and our, um, you know, close to retiring uh, groups, if you will. But um, the truth of the matter is much of the focus is really on the junior golfers and the younger crowds because the stats don't lie. I mean, most of the people coming into golf are obviously coming in and particularly uh, young females coming into the game and, you know, everybody sort of circles around that, that fold. The problem is what they're not looking at as the exit strategy for many golfers out there who are getting out of the game out of frustration. And I've talked to a few of them and, and just to give you an example, some of the commonalities are is they don't feel that they're really being instructed to, they're being given a Band-Aid solution. And they're just frustrated. They're not getting, uh, you know, the results. And uh, obviously, it's two sides to every story. So there's genuine concern. So I'm wondering, and again, I'm posing the question to you, uh, Bill, is, you know, are we focusing uh, a lot of the energy on new golfers coming in and really kind of neglecting some of the other golfers who've been here for many, maybe even decades? What are your thoughts? Uh, I can't agree with that more. That is uh, the lapse golfer, the one that doesn't play as much as they used to. We have a supply, and who knows with the statistics, of people who used to play twice a week, three, four, five times a month, now maybe play once, twice, three times a year. They're already trained yep. to know what to do as far as playing. And I think that's a, that's a group that every organization – has underestimated, in my opinion. And I'll, I'll call out the PGA of America, and I'll call out the USGA and everybody else. That is a group of right. people that we forget about. The secondary thing with the younger players as well, I feel, is that too many people are trying to put them into too, too much of a competitive group, and they're forgetting about mm -hmm. the players that may never break 80 in their life, but they're going to be playing three rounds a week at your club. And I think, you know, we have, right. to, we have to kind of take a step back and look at this from 10,000 feet. We need to get that supply of players up. There is a supply. There's a latent supply of players available there. But at the, at the same time, we have to address it and, you know, and talk about it a little more. And it, it gets nothing more than lip service uh, in so many times. And, you know, I, I find people, you know, I use my, uh, you know, my significant other as a, uh, a great example. She used to play um, – she played probably eight to ten rounds a month. She ends up dating a guy that doesn't play golf anymore, and she played three times in, in three years. Now, here's mm -hmm. a person that was, you know, adept to it and played a lot. But what do we do to bring them back to the game? Very little. And I think that's, you know, I don't want to get on the soapbox too much, but I think that's uh, you're spot on with, you know, addressing the people that aren't having, they're not, they, they don't play anymore and why they don't play. You, like you said, with the exit strategy, why don't you play anymore? You know, and I'll see people, and I'll ask them, we'll be out socially for dinner. I say, well, why don't you play? Well, I don't have anybody to play with. Well, well let's see if we can work on that. I, I don't hit the ball good anymore. Well, let's see if we can work on that. Let's get a solution to this. Yeah, uh, and, and well said. And, you know, this is not to, uh, you know, I don't want anybody listening to the show, uh, especially, you know, some of our fellow professionals out there to think that, uh, you know, I'm turning this into a bashing session because I'm not. What I, this is an education opportunity uh, for us in the industry to learn from uh, one another, you know, sharing ideas. And, and um, you know, Brian, you know, you work at, uh, again, at, at Montclair. 
and you know you have a lot of members there that uh, you know are seasoned. I'm putting that politely, but obviously a little older in their years, and some of them maybe don't play as much because they're, as Bill just pointed out, you know they're not hitting it as well anymore, um, you know, and they just don't feel that there's a place for them, so they kind of fall back to the wayside. And again, I I, I couldn't agree more that it is important to bring in the next generations. But as I think we would all agree, is there are a heck of a lot of golfers out there uh, that are in their 50s, 60s, and beyond uh, who for years have supported uh, the golf community and kind of feel like they're not really being marketed or targeted at anymore. Uh, and it's just, again, not getting uh, the full attention. And I think we're missing an opportunity because, uh, as you know, Bill just pointed out, there's you know, golfers out there that you know, have maybe – don't play in a regular foursome anymore. Uh, I've talked to people that work at golf uh, clubs. Uh, even though they still have their membership, many of the members are not playing very much anymore. We need to understand why. What are your thoughts? Well, t- t- I'll tell you what, Ted, that's a great question. And, it, and a light, like a light bulb went off, you know, thinking it through. It's just like, you know, we do, we do pay attention to new, new juniors and new, new golfers. But I'll tell you what. Something that's positive in New Jersey, we've got one heck of a New Jersey senior uh, circuit up here that runs from April through October, and and these guys get 160 to 200 guys a week playing in these events. It might be every two weeks, and then they have a year-end 36-hole tournament. And I'll tell you, they've done it. They've done it right because the venues that they play at are some of the best courses we have here in New Jersey. You know, the Plainfields, the Ridgewoods, the Baltus Raw, Canoe Brook, you know, Montclair, and they're going strong. So, you know, if anybody's listening, um, there, there's, a, there's a market for the, the older player. Um, throw them on a good golf course, get them with their buddies and stuff. But that's something special they have up here in New Jersey. So, uh, you know, now that we're talking about it, I, I'm pretty proud that they have some place to play. Um, but some good points, you, you know, I, I think one of the things that happens is as we get older, we lose distance. And I try to educate our older players to move up to another tee box and make the game fun again. Right. Why struggle all the way back on these long tees? They're playing 6,500 yard courses and they can't hit the ball off the tee more than 180. And, and that and that can drive you out of the game right there if, if you're not hitting greens and regulation and stuff like that. So I think it comes down to a little bit more education. We have to say, you know what, it's okay to to go up to the shorter tees on a golf course and have fun again. I'll, I'll tell you what, that's what I'm going to be doing, Ted. <laughs> you know, I'm, as, as I, start, I'm already... I start to lose a little driver distance, I'm moving up because I, I, I like to shoot – around par golf or keep it under par. <laughs> I'm not going back and, you know, shooting an 80, hitting three woods in every par four, you know, that's no fun for, right. for anybody. So, right. There's, and there's, there's I, a lot I'm already, of, yeah, I'm already moving up now yeah. anyway. So <laughs> I said, yeah. I'm already moving up it, now it, anyway. Yeah. Same here. You know, so, well, you know, but that, that's a great, that's a great question. You know, I never thought about it that way. We do tend to focus on the younger player, the beginner player, but you know, up here, you know, if you're if you're a senior, you got it. You got a place to play all summer long, 
and it's it's pretty competitive and 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 it's fun to be out there with their friends. I I know I see it all every year because we hope uh, Baltus Rawl, Canoebrook, and Montclair because we're all thirty six hole facilities host the finals and we rotate every three years and you know we got we got two hundred seniors playing in that thing. It's awesome. Right. Well said and. And I can personally attest to uh, New Jersey uh, being passionate about their golf because I know uh, just for the many years that I've been doing this show that we have a, a, a have a very large following from the New Jersey area. So I know there's a lot of great golfers up in that area. Uh, so just to, to go to your point. Um, the last question I'm going to ask, and I'm just going to go back in, in order uh, that we began uh so, Bill, I'm going to come back to you, um, and that is describe in, in your mind for you what makes for a good lesson. Um, I really think, you know, going back to my first terms of defining and clarifying what needs to happen, you know, having an open discussion where the coach is listening not to respond, but listening to hear what the player is saying and then providing direction and solutions to where the issues lie or to, to make the, the strong area even a lot stronger. I think that's the biggest thing. So when that player leaves the, the range, there's, we've eliminated question marks and we've actually added a level of confidence or, uh, you know, as, as we say with uh, scaffolded learning, we've added some pieces to the puzzle that are going to click and make them better understand where they're going and where they need to be. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting because, you know, I think as I, as I pointed out earlier and, and Pete, I'm going to jump to you and then, and then come back with Brian. Cause I, I think I went out of order, but, um, you know, I, I think when it comes to putting together a lesson, I think one of the things that we have to be careful of, obviously there's there's certain things that we're going to keep um, sort of centralized, if you will, because there are, are certain constants uh, in the golf game. But I think, Pete, what we want to do is we want to really customize a little bit that experience for our students. Um, again, there are certain commonalities that we're going to see with, you know, from golfer to golfer. But again, everybody's uniquely different. So I think that putting together um, a, a good lesson really starts with our analysis of the individual. What are your thoughts about putting together a good lesson? Oh, I agree with that 100%. You know, my first thing I do with with every lesson when they first come up, I ask, just ask them how their day's been. And it leads back to what you were talking about before. You know, sometimes they have some crappy days and so they've had a hard, rough day and and you know, so we're going to sort of gear the lesson to easing that down and, and getting them comfortable and, uh, you know, just have a little bit of fun and, and just sort of break the monotony or break the, you know, the day that they've had. And it may not necessarily be what I had planned on to work on in the first place. But, you know, I think as long as they can learn something, I, I think that makes for a good lesson, you know, getting them in there and, and getting them to understand a little bit more about what they do and, and why they hit the shots they hit and how they can correct it themselves. I think it always gives them a little bit of a, of, of an edge because then they know, Hey, I can, I can fix this myself a little bit and I understand a little bit more about what I'm trying to do. But I think you also have to, you have to take, you know, each person, as you said, as they come to you. And I'll give you a prime example. I had one of my regulars come 
and started hitting balls, and it was awful. And I said, hey, let's go have a beer. He goes, what are you doing? Said, this is not going to work today. Let's go. There's no reason for you and I to butt heads here today. I said, you've had a rough day. I said, I've been here all day. I said, let's go have a beer. He says, that's the best thing I've heard all day. And so we just walked off the tee. And so, you know, sometimes that's that's what it was. We had a great time, talked about a lot of great stuff. And I think for not hitting but 10 balls, I think that was one of the best lessons I've had mostly all, all season. And so sometimes you just have to do that. You know, you have to go with what, what's in front of you. And, and sometimes it may not be hitting balls, you know, something else to do. He learned a lot because we talked a lot about impacts and different things. And so, you know, you just have to take what's in front of you and, and go with each one and, and, you know, try to make it, uh, you know, I guess respectable and fun and, and just have them learn something every time. I I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a, a great opportunity um, to connect with, you know, some of your students like that, you know, just to, to show them that, you know, we're all human. And, and just because, you know, we're standing up there on the lesson tee, uh, you know, giving instruction, you know, we're human too. And, and uh, sometimes it's just, you know, Brian, it goes to really that connection as, a, you know, as we talked about earlier on in the show, you know, between the student and the teacher, there has to be that connection and there has to be that, that comfort level, because I think for a student to be receptive, um, you know, to, to your instruction, there has to be a comfort level. And if there's not, um, you know, then, you know, everything sort of just gets missed. It, it's kind of like you're sending the signal out, but they don't have the proper receiver to receive it. And it just, it's, it's coming all you know, garbled and, and jumbled up and it's just not making any sense to them. So um, for you, what uh, what have you found is the sort of secret sauce, if you will, uh, for putting together a good lesson? Well, I think, I think it comes down to the relationship you're building with the student. You know, the better that is, you know, getting somebody to laugh or have fun, break the ice, um, that's so important because you, you got to figure – most lessons say they're an hour. You, you're you're going to be hanging out with that teacher for an hour. Do you really want to hang out with that person? And I think if the answer is yes, you know, that's a successful lesson. If your student wants to hang out with you for an hour, that's going to make the environment turn it into a learning environment where, where you're listening and, you know, maybe you can talk about non-golf things just to keep it light and then get get into the lesson, you know. But if you don't have that connection with the student, there's not going to be a lot of learning going on. So, you know, I think good teachers find a way to make students relax or, or have fun or, um, you know, just enjoy that time together. And that, and so much learning can come out of that. But I think that's the main thing, you know, and then, you know, we could, we could just sit here and say, I fixed somebody's ball flight. Is that a good lesson? You know, maybe, maybe it is, but I think there's more to it than that. You know, um, and and I think everybody's looking for a friend, so, uh, somebody else to to talk to and hang out with. I think that's that's probably an overlooked part of what we do is what, how do we form that relationship with the student and do we keep it ongoing? Because you know, uh, I think I think a sign of a good lesson is are they taking another lesson? You know, to, right. that's the sign right there that it was a good lesson. It might the ball flight might have changed, but are they coming back for more? I, I would say that's a good lesson. Some something clicked, and and you're building some kind of relationship out of that, and that's going to make the player better. 
I couldn't agree more. You know, it, it, it goes to this, guys, really, um, you know, the, the sort of the overall theme of that, of that question was really to build relationships. You know, I think back, and if we all sort of, you know, dial back many years to when we all, uh, you know, were in school, you know, there were certain teachers that stood out. Um, there was a certain teacher that had a great rapport, had a great way of um, relaying the information that they had in front of them in such a way that wanted you uh, encouraged you to learn more. And then there were those teachers, and again, no fault of their own, but just didn't have that same chemistry. And it was very difficult, very challenging uh, for some students particularly. And I think that it, the same applies in golf. I think you have to have that relationship between the student and the uh, teacher professional. There has to be that comfort level. And when there is, obviously, you're, you're more apt to be successful, uh, as you all pointed out. All right, guys, I want to thank you for uh, bringing together a great uh, panel discussion tonight. You guys did a fantastic job, as always. Uh, a special thanks to uh, uh, Bill Abrams, Brian Dobby, and Pete Buchanan for always bringing their best. And uh, guys, very quickly, I will go from top to bottom again. Bill, uh, Brian, and Pete, just let the folks know uh, the best way to reach out and get a hold of you. Thanks again, Ted. Uh, the best way to get me is just simply go to my website, uh, BillAbramsGolf.com. It's got all the contact information and my locations available right there. Uh, pretty simple. And if I could uh, put out a little plug, I just introduced a uh, new uh, a new uh, app through SwingU this uh, this past uh, month. And I would uh, any information that you'd like from me, just please go to my website and you can find me there. Thank you. Not a problem, uh, Brian. First off, Ted, thanks for having me on the show again. You know, it's either we, we get together in the spring, the start of a season, or, or in the fall, the end of the season. I, I look forward to <laughs> being on your show all the time. And, guys, you know, I'm taking notes here, all your information, so thank you um, for that. You guys are awesome. Um, I can be reached at Montclair Golf Club. We're up in West Orange, New Jersey. Just email me is my best way, Brian Dobby, PGA at yahoo.com you know our season's ending um up here now but our winter season's starting so um i'm looking forward to all my uh, snowbirds that don't get away and uh you know they want to work on their game all winter so it's cool so uh, you guys have a good year man and i hope to see you at the show all right ted all right thank you thank you very much happy holidays have a great thanksgiving and and uh christmas holiday as well and thank you brian for uh for coming on and bringing your best. Uh, Pete, what about you? What the uh, best way to, for folks to reach out to you? Well, first of all, Bill and Brian, great being with you tonight. And Ted, it's, it's always a pleasure to be on the show with you. I, I really look forward to it as well. And they can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. The plane is P-L-A-N-E. All my contact info is there. So just uh, head out there and look around and see what's there. And there's a contact uh, page that you can send me a note and, and go from that point. So there it is. Perfect. Uh, again, thank you guys for uh, bringing your best, and I look forward to, uh, uh, I know uh, Bill and, and Pete, I think you're going to be on one more time for this season before we wrap up uh, another uh, season here in Golf Talk Live, particularly the Coach's Corner. So thanks, guys. Have a great uh, uh, weekend, and uh, I look forward to having you guys again on the show. And, Brian, we'll talk to you next season. All right, Ted. Great. Thanks, right. guys. Thanks, Ted. Good night. All right. See you guys. All right, that was Bill Abrams, Brian Dobby, and Pete Buchanan. Excuse me, uh, again, the uh, guest panelists on Coach's Corner. 
uh, always enjoy having the guys on and uh, always look forward to having them come back and sharing their thoughts and and uh, a few tidbits along the way that hopefully will help you guys improve uh, your game. All right, uh, before I bring on my uh, special guest this evening, uh, let me just remind everybody, of course, a uh, great sponsor of the Coach's Corner uh, segment, uh, golfswing.com. If you go to their website at the end of the show, uh, golfswing.com, and enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE, uh, you'll get 50% off their subscription price at their website. They've got a great uh, video platform there with some great instruction uh, from a bunch of uh, really top-notch uh, golf professionals here in the business. So I, I strongly encourage you to, uh, to go and visit their site, golfswing.com. And in the meantime, take a listen to this. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? Golfswing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, Golfswing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, Golfswing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at golfswing.com. All right, and again, remember, uh, at the end of the show, go visit golfswing.com, enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE, and you'll save 50% off the subscription price. I uh, strongly encourage you to do that. All right, I'm very excited to have my very special guest join me tonight. His name is David Breslow. Uh, he is the founder of Performance Success Strategies. He's also the author of Wired to Win and also the creator of Wired to Win, a one-of-a-kind model for fast, reliable improvement. Uh, he's also uh, provided weekly mental game uh, as a contributor to the Golf Channel, uh, director of mental toughness at the USTA National Tennis Center, uh, as well as a guest on the uh, Golf Channel a number of times, uh, speaker at uh, regional and national PJ clinics and workshops, and some of his clients include uh, both professional and amateur golfers, as well as teach professionals in other sports and business types as well. So please welcome my very special guest, David Breslow. Hey, Good evening, thank you David. very much, Ed. Can you <laughs> Good hear evening, me? Good evening, David. I can certainly hear you. And uh, okay. my apologies. I know you were having a, some technical issues trying to get into the show uh, another way, so I'm sorry you had to to uh, scale it back and do it this way, but uh, hopefully uh, everything will go fine and, and uh, we'll have a great show. It's all good. Thank you very much. Not a problem. By all the right. way, I, I, I was, I was, let me, uh, if I may, comment. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to the last few minutes of your last segment about uh, relationships, and I think that's so hugely important. And uh, the Wired to Win program that you introduced when you were talking about me and bringing me on the program is, is a mental game program that really is about building the most important relationship every golfer has. And it's the relationship with themselves. So relationships are everything. So I loved hearing you guys talk about that. Thank you. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, David, we've, we've talked about this many, many times on the show. Um, you know, that relationship, and it's really with anybody. It's not just in golf. And you and I talked uh, yesterday for a little while and uh, about a number of different things. We'll touch on some of those here uh, tonight on the program. But, you know, uh -huh. I'm a firm believer. I think that when you're, you know, in any situation, whether it's, you know, learning the game of golf or, you know, back in school with, uh, with your classmates in a teaching environment, 
the, the connection between the teacher and students is critical for success. Because I think if there's not that good communication between the two, I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier in the show, I don't know if you caught this part or not, it's kind of like two gears gnashing. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think the relationship side of things is very, very important. And you're, you're exactly right. That relationship with yourself is first and foremost. Um, but outside of that, um, that's why it's important in your inner circles to have good relationships because that helps uh, keep you both physically but also mentally healthy as well. All right. I want to go back a little bit and just give you an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about yourself um, sort of how you came about to where you are right now, what got you interested uh, in this particular field? Well, it began for me as a tennis player. And uh, I was an athlete in my younger days as a teenager and in my 20s and mid-30s. And uh, my favorite game at the time was tennis, which is what I grew up playing. And what was interesting to me is, uh, you know, imagine a tennis player in their warm-up, you know, looking great, bouncing around briskly on the, on my feet, hitting the sweet spot all the time in the center of the string, looking really good, warming up beautifully, and golfers can relate to this because I hear this all the time, warming up beautifully right. at the range, feeling the golf <laughs> yeah. club, feeling the golf ball at the bottom of the of the golf club, hitting it nicely, feeling it nicely, all this beautiful rhythm everything feeling really good. And then when they go to the first tee and when I went to start the match, when they held up the balls and said, these are good, that guy just disappeared. And uh, yep. <laughs> basically, basically I would lose so many matches to players who weren't physically as good as I was. And I can't tell you how many times I would come up to the net and shake hands with my opponent and they would stand there and kind of brush their forehead and go, phew. When we were warming up, I thought you were going to kill me, and they, and and I lost. Right. Okay, so it got so depressing. Uh, everything I read, all the books, I talked to the better players, I studied the gurus, the sports psychologists, and everything, and none of that stuff really worked for me. And I got more and more frustrated. So one day, I'm finally playing a really big match at uh, at the site of the U.S. Open in Forest Hills at that time in New York. I wasn't a professional player at that time. I was an, a, a good amateur, and I once again lost in the first round to a, to a guy who was good but not nearly as good as I was physically. And I was so frustrated. I went back out to my car. I started banging the roof of my car with my tennis racket. I'm yelling and I'm screaming. I was so upset I fell to my knees, and uh, at, at that moment, I heard this little voice in my head that whisper. Why don't you go back to what you knew when you were younger? And all of a sudden I stopped and I realized that when I was younger, like eight, nine, 10 years old, I had this true understanding of the mind body relationship. I don't know where it came from. I didn't get it from school or from books or anything. I just had a very innate unquestioning understanding of the mind, the body, the emotions and the energy of a human being and how they work together. So I went back to that. I went home that night. I went back to that, and I created Wired to Win from that night at my house. I put together these laws that I teach. I gave them a name. I didn't invent the laws. I just gave them a name and put them in a sequence, and that became Wired to Win. That's how it all started, from my frustration. 
Yeah, and, and you bring up an interesting point, and, and again, we talked about this somewhat yesterday, that uh, a lot of, and, and obviously, you know, we're going to talk about golf here, but um, it, it applies really to any sport, but um, for golfers particularly, fall into this trap where, you know, they're playing a great game on the practice tee, but as you said, right. when they step to the first tee or even the second hole, uh, suddenly it's like the wheels fall off the bus. What's right. going on at that point? What, in, in, Based on your experience and your understanding, let's talk about that first and we'll get into some other uh, questions as well. But just give us a okay. general overview. What's happening at that point? Why are they not able to take that great game that they've been practicing on the, on the practice tee and suddenly now it, right. it's, it's disappeared or, or evaporated on the first tee? Well, I'm going to make this very, very simple. In fact, my nickname in the, in the mental game coaching arena is Mr. Simple. And I'm going to say something right now that maybe a good deal of your audience may just go, oh, come on, it can't be that simple. Can't be that. That can't be the, the reason, but it is. Okay? It's really simple. My question to that golfer, let's say it's you. My question to you would be, what were you focusing on at the driving range? And golfers will say to me, well, I was just, you know, paying attention to my rhythm, and I just wanted to get a good feel for the swing. I wanted to hit a few targets, and I just, I just wanted to be consistent and have that really nice feeling. That's what I hear a lot. And as soon as they tell me that, I say, well, why can't you take that to the first tee? And they're shocked. They say, well, how can I take that to the first tee? I mean, all of a sudden it counts. I mean, everything I do matters. And, you know, I'm putting it on my scorecard. How can I take what I did at the range and take that same mental outlook to the, to the golf course? And I'm, I'm sitting here going, why can't you? Don't you understand that the only thing that changed between who you were at the driving range and who you were on the first tee was a simple shift in thinking? That's the power of thought, which I talk about in, in law number three in the program. But that's how powerful thoughts are. And most golfers that I speak to have no idea that that's really happening. They're so busy looking at all the other reasons and rationalizations, they just can't figure out how everything went south. Oh, man, I was feeling so good. And then I got to the first tee, and all of a sudden I duck hook it, and I'm starting to think about, you know, results, and I'm thinking about the people that are watching me. That's the traditional conversation. I don't have that conversation with people because I already know that that's not going to help them. The reality is all they did was have a shift in thinking. What you're, what you're thinking at the range produced these beautiful experiences, and what you're thinking at the first tee produced these unwanted experiences. So the only common denominator there is what you're thinking in your mind. And when, as soon as that changes, everything else changes. It is really that simple, Ted. You know, it's interesting, and you're exactly right. It's interesting because um, yesterday uh, you had mentioned this to me several times uh, in our conversation. Uh, you invited me, and of course, we're going to let the folks do that at the end of the show because I want them to listen to what we're going to talk about here tonight. Um, but to visit your website, uh, DaveBreslow.com, and there's a YouTube video that you have up there, and I want you just to, to explain it uh, a little bit here, well, me, what me, you're referring to. Can I interrupt you? For, Go ahead. Can I interrupt you for a yeah, Yes, sir. Sure. That's not the that's not the correct website. Uh, okay. The DaveBreslow.com is for personal development. That's a different world. The the golf I have a golf only website, which is called MentalGolfCoaching.com. That's the website we want to send folks to. Okay, I got you. 
Um, on the site that I was on, you talked about um, the two tennis balls. And I right. think that really played. Um, explain for, for the listeners what you meant uh, when you talked about those two tennis balls, what the differences were and why. Okay, yeah, it was a very low-tech video. I'm, I'm not into all the fancy bells and whistles because I think that distracts from the message. So I'm sitting there with two tennis balls, marks number one and number two, and I'm trying to make the point in a six-minute video as to why golfers and why basically human beings, when they, when they get a whole bunch of information and they go to workshops and they get a, a lot more stuff tips and strategies and so on, why that stuff doesn't really work and why it certainly doesn't last. So circle one represents everything you know up until this moment in time. It's your entire history, your memories, your beliefs, your limitations, your fears, your self-doubts, all that garbage, I call it garbage, all that garbage is in circle one. And so the logical mind will say to you, well, you know, I'm not doing this stuff very well, or I'm, I'm lacking confidence, or I'm, I'm not doing some of these things as well as I should, so I probably should go get better at them. Okay, makes sense. And where you want to be is in circle two. Circle two has nothing, none of the ingredients in circle one exist in circle two. Circle two is where all your freedom is. Circle, circle two is where you get to play up to your potential. There are no limitations. There are no past garbage in there. I, you know, I kind of call it the rancid milk analogy. It's, it's the same as if you go to your refrigerator and you open up a carton of milk and you smell it and it smells horrible. It's rancid. You go to the grocery store and you get a new quart of milk. Do you put that new quart of milk into the old quart of milk hoping that it's going to smell better? Well, the answer is no. You don't do that. Right. But that's what golfers are doing. They don't realize that's exactly what they're doing. When they go out, and they read a book, or they go pay money for a workshop, or they go do all these things, go online and read articles and blah, 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 and they're gathering more and more and more information. What they don't realize is they're dumping that new information into circle one, which is the old rancid milk. And that's the reason they're not getting the results that they want. Circle two is sitting there waiting for you to come into it. So when I created the Wired to Win program, that's exactly what learning the laws does from day one. It puts you in circle two. So you immediately start to feel that freedom. You immediately start to feel that confidence. All the qualities and conditions that athletes and golfers are looking for are produced in circle two quite automatically. So the, the big mistake that most people make, and in my opinion, most models make in the peak performance world, is that they just continue to dump stuff on you and don't they themselves don't realize that they're dumping all their all their tips and their strategies and they may be very good by the way but they're dumping all that stuff into your into your rancid milk and that's why you're struggling it it seems to take forever or you don't seem to get any results at all and so i was just inundated at the beginning of this 20 some odd years ago by athletes who were so frustrated, just like I was, because they did the same right. thing I did. They read, all, they read all the books. They talked to the experts and all the so-called gurus and blah, 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 and they still weren't getting what they wanted. They still couldn't understand why their game wasn't 
raising and elevating to the place that they really deep down inside knew it could be. And that's why I, again, that's why I created Wired to Win. But that, that little six-minute video, most people look at that and kind of start shaking their head and going, yeah, okay, I do that too. Because they spend all their time in circle one trying to fix the things that are in circle one. And the truth is circle one will never get you into circle two. So when I start working with people, whether it's live coaching, which I do, or whether they buy my digital products online, uh, either way, you're immediately going into circle two. And I don't spend any time trying to fix anything in circle one because there's nothing in there of value to you. And it's interesting to me that when a player will call me, they'll keep asking me about all the junk in circle one. You know, what do I do about that? How do I stop being negative? How do I get myself to be right. more resilient? How do, how, do I, how do I get emotionally more balanced? How do I stop reacting? All these things. And I understand that they're talking to me from circle one. Always. They're talking to me while they're in circle one, which means they're dead asleep, which is what I call it. They don't realize they're doing it. They're completely unaware that they're telling me story after story after story without any awareness <laughs> that they're doing it. It's so automatic. Well, that's what's funny. Right. I, used to, I did that with uh, some of your listeners may know the name Chip Beck. And um, yes. I, used to, I worked with him when he was about 47 years old. And uh, I, he was referred to me by Dr. Jim Study when I was living in Chicago. Jim was a mm-hmm. friend of mine. And that was during that time that Chip was not playing well for seven years. That was after that, that horrible master's experience when he, he laid up and he finished second to Bernard Longer. And right. uh, he got, after that, he fell apart. I mean, he literally fell apart. He lost his PGA card. He lost his family. He lost his home. He lost everything. And seven years, this guy didn't make a cut on the tour. And every, every golfer knows that if you don't make the cut, you don't make any money. So he eventually got a hold of me. He had talked to everybody. He had talked to all the big names in sports psychology. He had tried 20, 25 different swing coaches. He was doing everything he could to get himself back and ready to play the Champions Tour when he turned 50. Right. So he calls me, and he's all depressed when he calls. Because he's playing with these 22-year-olds on the development tour, on the Nike tour at that time, and he's getting his butt kicked. They're out driving him. They're out playing him. They're out everything him. And he calls me, and he just missed another cut on that tour, and he's all down and all depressed. And um, I say to him, look, uh, I'm going to prove to you everything I say. And so I asked him a question. I, I asked him how long have you not been playing well? He goes, uh, about seven years, on and off, pretty much seven years. He, I said, okay. How long have you been telling people your story? And he started laughing. And he goes, yeah, okay, about seven years. I've been t-. I said, yeah, you're telling everybody. Anybody who will right. listen, you're telling your story to. And here's the truth that I want your, your listeners to, to really hear and write this okay. down if you want. The more... The, the, the more you tell your story, the more you're doomed to repeat that experience over and over again. And when I said that to Chip, he said, are you kidding me? I said, no. Look at your own experience. Haven't you been telling that story for seven years? He goes, yeah. Haven't you been not playing well for seven years? He goes, yeah. 
I said, you never made that one-to-one connection, that correlation? He said, no. I never, I never thought the two were connected. I said, well, think again, buddy. Uh, you don't know the laws yet, and if we decide to work together, uh, you're going to learn them, and you will see exactly why what I just said to you is 100% accurate. It's not my opinion. It's the truth about how human beings are put together and how we produce outcomes. So we, you know, I said, look, we haven't, we haven't decided if we're going to work together or not. But I, and I told you this yesterday. I said, but right. here's your first assignment. Here's your first assignment. Even if we never speak again, he goes, what? I said, shut up. And he starts <laughs> laughing. He goes, oh my God. No, nobody's ever talked to me this way. I said, well, I'm talking to you because we're talking this way for a while and we have a relationship. And I know I can say that to you with a smile on my face. And he said, yeah, I know. I said, I'm not being rude. I'm telling you that if you want to start turning this around, stop telling your story to everybody who will listen. Stop telling it to your caddy. Stop telling it to your new wife. Stop telling it to your kids. Stop telling it to your barber, your butcher. I don't care where you go. Stop telling the story because the story is killing you. Even though you don't know why it's killing you yet, you're going to find out. But I'm telling you right now, just stop telling it. And he did. So we did start to work together. And within three sessions, Chip was finishing in the top 15, top 10, top 5. They were actually starting to do a story piece on him from the Golf Channel. You know, the old old tiger against the young lion kind of a thing. And... uh, he had, a, he had a fantastic first three months of his Champions Tour experience. Now, I haven't talked to him in quite a while. This was a while ago. But I'll never forget the experience that I had with him because he was like everybody else. He, he just couldn't believe that these laws and these, these things were happening within him. He was looking at it the same as everybody else did, that it's got to be all these other things that are the reasons. And he tried to rationalize all this stuff, and he tried to figure it out. And he was hanging out in circle one, just like everybody else does. And you can't do that. There's no answers in circle one. The answers are in circle two. They really are. You know, what's interesting, that's a great story, uh, David, by the way. You know, another player comes to mind, and I don't want to get into his uh, situation, but I, I suspect he probably suffered from the same thing, and that was Ian Baker Finch. You know, he was a phenomenal player very early on in his career, and then all of a sudden it was like he hit that wall. Uh, to right. the point where it literally crippled his play, and then now he's in the announcer's booth, um, which right. is nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I suspect that he suffered from a lot of this. In fact, he talked about that many times on air early on uh, when he first mm-hmm. became announcer, um, you know, that he struggled with his game. So I imagine, that, you know, just from the way you were describing Chip Beck's story, uh, Ian Baker Finch probably had the same experience where he got stuck in that right. circle one trying to figure everything out. You know, let me ask you this question, and, and I, I want to put this because I really want um, not only the listeners to understand, but I want to understand as well. Would this be a fair analogy, if you will, uh, going back to your description earlier on about the range and uh, and actually playing? Would it be fair to say that a player is more like circle two when they're just sort of loosening up and and you know on the range? not in a practice session, but just warming up before their round. But now when they move to the rain or to the, uh, to the uh, golf course, now circle one sort of comes into play. Would that be a fair analogy uh, or description between the two? 
Yeah, that would be a fair analogy. If we're going to use those terms, and those are the terms that I, I use a lot, circle one and circle two, that, that is a very fair, and it's actually very good. I've actually never heard another uh, host make that analogy. So good on you, man. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> yes, when they're warming up and they're comfortable and they're feeling good and their body is open and relaxed, they are definitely residing in circle two, even though they don't know it. And as soon as they right. get in the cart, drive over to the to the first tee, circle one comes flying back in. And um, yeah. as it should, by the way, because you have to remember, you've had a longer relate. You talk about relationships. You've had a longer relationships with the garbage in circle one than you have with anything else. You've been thinking that way, feeling that way, acting that way for years. So it's automatic that that stuff would pop up. Why wouldn't it? That's why. Yeah. So many golfers will say to me, oh, what do I do? How do I get rid of it? And I say, you don't get rid of it. Why do you even deal with it? Why are you even bothering paying attention to it? Let's just get right into circle two. Isn't that where you want to be? Yeah. So why do we need to deal with circle one? I don't know. I thought I was supposed to. Well, you think you're supposed to because the society has kind of convinced us that that's what we have to do to improve and elevate ourselves. And I say, no, you don't. That's a myth. That's another myth. In the, uh, in the mental game world, in the peak performance world, in any of that stuff, you don't have to pay attention to any of that. You don't have to get better at it. You don't have to try to kill it. You don't have to do anything with it. All you need to do is learn how the mind, body, emotions, and energy function together to produce outcomes because they're already doing it. And that's the laws that I talk about. So, yeah, that's a wonderful analogy, Ted. Thank you for that. Well, you're welcome to use that anytime. Uh, I don't even want credit for it. You could just add that into your curriculum. Um, no, all kidding aside, the, the reason why, you know, I, I mentioned that is because, you know, as a teacher professional, a lot of times this is an area that we see, as, as I know you do when you, when you do your coaching, that we see so many players struggle with. I mean, you know, I even remember as a youngster when my father would take me out and, and he was teaching me the game of golf and he said, you know, when you take a practice swing, everything's beautiful. It's, it's, you know, smooth and flowing, but he says, as soon as that club hits behind the ball and you're ready to actually hit the shot, he's, I don't know where, where Ted disappeared to, but he's, that guy's gone. And Mm -hmm. I think the same thing is happening with many of our golfers is they're again, relaxed, very comfortable. They're not really thinking about anything. They're just out there and, and enjoying the moment. But then all of a sudden it's like a blinder comes on when they're heading to that first tee. And as you said, all of those, sort of negative thoughts and stuff start creeping in and all of those analogies that they've been listening to for, you know, the last 10 or 20 years. So I want to ask you something because obviously this leads to, um, to talk about the mental side. And this is something that there's a lot of debate about and you sort of put, put it uh, quite um, literal last night when we talked, how much of the game is mental? Well, I ask that question many times when I'm doing a, a lecture, and the answer, the range of answers I get is from 10% to 90%, and I tell everybody it's 100%, and I can prove it. Usually when I say it's 100%, I, I see the reaction from people, especially the teaching pros, because they go, are you kidding me? Come on, it can't be 100%. What about all the other stuff, like managing the golf course and making good choices and all that stuff? And I say, okay, well, here's the deal. The way I teach it, that's the only caveat. The way that I teach it, the mental game has four components to it. Your mind, 
your body, your emotions, and your energy. That's it. That's what makes up the mental game. And if you notice, the body is in there. That's everything physical. All your mechanics, your tension, your stress, all, all, your, mus- your muscles, all that is in there. The mind, the body, the emotions, and the energy of a golfer. Now, that's not the proof. Here's the proof. Every time you put your hands on the golf club, all four of those elements are in play. You can't stop it. You can't change it. I've, I've worked with some of the biggest egos on the planet in my coaching experience, and a lot of them will say to me, oh, no, Dave, I'm going to find a time when that's not true, and I just start laughing. I say, go ahead. I've been doing this for 27 years. Nobody has ever come up with an answer different than what I just said. Because the reality is you can't. Every human being has a mind, a body, emotions, and energy flowing through their body. And what most golfers don't realize is those four elements, I call them your power tools, are run and governed by laws which are producing outcomes in your game. That's what's happening. So I say it's 100%, and that's the proof, because every time you put your hands on the golf club, all four of those elements are in play. And, and I can't stop it. You can't stop it. Nobody can stop it. It's automatic. It's the way all human beings are put together. It's pretty fascinating, in my opinion. Let me ask you this question based on those, those four terms. Can a golfer who has difficulties in one of those areas, and I'll give you an example, let's say motion. I talked about this earlier on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. Let's say that they're struggling um, emotionally. Can that throw the sequence out? Can that throw things off in their game? Obviously, again, all four come into play with whatever we do. But if their emotions are out of check, let's say as an example, that's going to affect the overall game as well, correct? Well, where do you think emotions come from, Ted? They come from the mind, obviously. Yeah. So uh, why, would you, why would you want to spend time dealing with emotions only? Because I can tell you this, there's a process that takes place. There's a sequence that takes place. It's unbreakable and it's undeniable. There are core triggers, and one of the core triggers is a thought. I mentioned that before. A, a single mm-hmm. thought. Every thought is, is followed by an emotion. Every emotion is followed by an action or a behavior. Every action and behavior is followed by an outcome. Okay? That's a, that, mm-hmm. is the, that is the performance, the performance sequence that I teach everybody. There are four other, uh, there are several other core triggers, but thought is the main one. So if you have an emotion, let's say you're angry and you're frustrated, I promise you, you cannot have that emotion without first having a thought. So let's say right. you're standing at the first tee and you duck hook your, your shot out of bounds and you get ticked off. Well, I promise you, you could not have had that emotion unless you first had a thought that triggered it. And that thought might be something like, uh-oh, or I suck, or I can't believe I did that again, or I'm a loser, right. or any, any of those kinds of things. Okay, right. you, could not, you could not have had that emotion without having had that thought. It is, it is physiologically impossible. Emotions don't pop up on their own out of nothing. So if a player right. calls me and says, hey, I want to work on my emotional flexibility, I'm going to say that's not the area you want to work on. 
because the only reason you're out of whack emotionally is because you're out of whack in your thinking. Why don't we take a look at that? What are you thinking when you're in that situation? Oh, I'm thinking I'm no good. Oh, here I go again. Or my round is ruined. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, that's where the issue is. It's not the emotions. But see, they don't know that, Ted. They don't know that right. this sequence, this very simple sequence exists, and it's provable. I can take every situation a golfer gives me and just play it backwards in that sequence. I can take the outcome. I can play it backwards to the behavior, play that backwards to the emotion, play that backwards to the core trigger, which would be what you're thinking or a memory or how you're talking to yourself. So there's some of the other core triggers. Or your interpretation, that's one of the big core triggers. Golfers are interpreting things all the time. I hit a shot out of bounds. Oh, God, I'm no good. That's an mm-hmm. interpretation. <laughs> that interpretation right. causes that feeling of anger and frustration and depression. Does that make sense, Ted? It makes perfect sense. Um, and, and that's yeah. exactly what I was getting yeah, and that's exactly what I was getting at. I wanted you to, to really sort of explain that because I think people need to understand because, as you point out, you know, the mental game is obviously to many, many people very confusing and very frustrating for a lot of golfers. Um, but it's also an area, um, as you point out, that many of them vir- virtually ignore it. Talk a little bit about that. First off, obviously it is uh, something that can be very difficult for some people, but why do you think they ignore it? What is the, the reasoning behind, in your opinion, that they ignore this as part of the reasons they're struggling with their game? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's something I've, I've been struggling with for years because it's, obviously I'm biased because I think it's everything, and I don't understand why so many golfers put this in the trunk of the car and they just forget about it. So what most people will tell me are things like this. Oh, I don't think it's that important. Oh, it's too confusing. I've read the books and I've talked to people and it sounds really, all this psychological stuff and it just sounds really messy. Sounds like it takes a long time. Or, you know, there's nothing wrong with my mind. I'm not sick. You know, they look at it as if you go to a sports psychologist, they look at that as going to a psychologist. And they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> all these things. But... Honestly, in my opinion, I think it's because of the way it's it's delivered, because so much mm-hmm. of it is still psychological based. I call it psychobabble. There's so much confusion. Right. I I know very few people. I actually I don't know anybody. I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but I don't know anybody that is talking about these things the way that I'm talking about them, in terms of these laws. Because what's interesting to me is I don't deal with the psychology. I don't talk psychobabble. I don't even talk tips. I don't need to. Because once a person learns the laws, all of the things that they wanted are starting to show up as a byproduct. It's automatic. I don't even have to talk about it. Confidence shows up as a byproduct from law number one, believe it or not. And I don't even talk about confidence. I don't have to. Because it shows up as a byproduct of this person understanding the power that they have. And that's the ultimate a goal of the Wired to Win program is it's showing every client the power that they've always had at their fingertips, but nobody ever showed them. That's what I'm basically doing is I'm showing them. They have this internal power to create what they want instead of getting busy dealing with and coping with all the things that they don't want in their game. That's what traditional models do. They The, the traditional models are coping models. 
So if you go call right. a sports psychologist or whoever, and they say, what do you want to work on? You tell them all these things you want to work on, and they end up giving you a bunch of coping mechanisms. I don't do that. You could give me all these things you want to work on, and I'll say, okay. Uh, all those things are going to get better by virtue of le- you learning the laws. Oh, you're not going to give me any, any tips or strategies for each one of these things? And no, that's crazy. You don't need them for each one of those things. They're all going to get better automatically in, in math. So uh, I have no interest in helping a golfer be a better coper, and here's the reason why. Like I said, I prove everything I say. Go to your dictionary and look up the word cope, and the synonyms you're going to find are to deal with, to get by, to manage, uh, to handle, and to struggle with. <laughs> That's what coping is. So people who are coping – are busy just trying to handle things, trying to get by. There's no strength in that. There's no power in that at all. It's very lame. I call coping mediocrity. Besides, here's the big issue with coping, in my, in my opinion. Actually, it's not an opinion. It's, it's true. When you're coping, you're only dealing with things after they already happen. Do you realize that? You only apply right. coping mechanisms after the difficulty has already happened. And I don't understand why people want to do that. So I'm kind of known around the world for this particular question when people call me. They tell me all their issues and they tell me all their story and blah, blah, blah. And then I just stop and I say, okay, so do you want more coping mechanisms to put out all the fires you just told me about? Or do you want to have fewer fires to put out? Every single person I talk to says, well, If I had a choice, I'd rather put out the fires. I'd rather have fewer fires to put out. I said, okay, then I'm your guy. If you wanted more coping mechanisms to put out all of your fires, I'm not your guy. Go talk to whoever you want to. I'm not your guy because I already know what's going to happen. You're going to call me back three months later because you're going to tell me you're still having the same issues, and I'm going to not be surprised because you never really dealt with them properly in the first place. You're too busy coping with what you don't want instead of creating what you do. There's a huge difference there, Teddy. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also, too, what ultimately ends up happening going down that path is they find something to cope with one, but then a new issue creeps up, and then they've got to find another coping skill uh, or mechanism to do that. And you're exactly right. You know, yeah, I, it, that, it brings to mind. That's, that's, circle, that's circle one, Ted. All that junk yeah, is exactly. in circle one. And because you haven't really gotten into circle two, of course it's going to keep popping up. It doesn't know what else to do. No surprise. No surprise. You know, it, you know it's interesting, uh, you know, listening to you talk and, and, you know, another player comes to mind. And, you know, there's been a lot of debate for the last several years as to, to the reasons why uh, things have happened. But Tiger Woods, is a, in my opinion, is a perfect example of this, uh, what we're talking about. Uh-huh. Because, you know, here you had a player – who had developed a skill set um, that was far superior to the majority of people that he was playing against on the PGA. Along comes 2010, and we won't get into it, but obviously something very traumatic happened in his life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we won't get into the specifics. And the interesting thing was, all of a sudden, the wheels fell off the bus. It wasn't his golf game that changed, but it was what his thought process had changed. And for, for, I mean, the last, what, almost decade, we've heard every analyst uh, on a variety of different networks trying to figure out what he was doing wrong. And, 
you know, what was happening to his game and, and this, that, and the other. And the truth of the matter was his game hadn't changed from the day before that came out public to the day after. Mm-hmm. He was still hitting the ball the mm-hmm. same, but something else changed. And I believe, right. as you said, his thought process changed. Understandably. Right. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, the analysts don't really get it either. They're, you know, they're, they're from the school of the traditional thinking. And so they just say whatever they need to say that goes in line with that. I understand that. But the reality is, and I'd like, you know, like your listeners to really get this is that the inner game creates the outer experience. Everything is created twice, first from the inside and then on the outside, it manifests in, in reality. And I don't mean that to sound like airy-fairy or new age or any of that stuff. This stuff right. is scientifically proven. It is scientifically proven that everything begins from within, which is why I don't understand. Well, actually, I do understand it. But, uh, it's because people are living in circle one. They're dead asleep. They just keep coming up with all these solutions that are just no good. But, but that's what happens when you're asleep. You keep doing things that aren't working until so you keep trying. When it doesn't work, you try another thing that doesn't work. So that's the way that goes. But it's really interesting to watch people struggle for no reason to me, no reason whatsoever. And so when people go into the Wire Doing program, and by the way, here's a quick note. If any of your listeners are interested in, in the live coaching in any of this, I have a discount for them. So all they need to do is mention Golf Talk Live when they contact me, and they're going to get a two to three hundred dollar discount. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But perfect. Well, we'll everything. What's that? I say we'll remind them again at the end of the broadcast. Okay. But everything begins within, and if you really understood that, all of a sudden things get very very simple because all you have to do is turn inward. Stop looking outside for all these quickie fix tips and all these strategies that work one day and not the next. That's the other thing I find hilarious. I have these these clients who have notebooks full of strategies, and they don't even know which one to use after a while. It's like, geez, Dave, you know, this strategy was really good. It worked on Tuesday, and then I tried to apply it on Thursday, and it didn't work. Well, of course it didn't work because that's not the answer. You're still hanging out in circle one, and you're being governed by all the rancid garbage that's turning you into a toxic golfer. You can't operate that way. It, you might you might get away with it for a little while, but it's eventually going to come back and kick you in the butt. It's just not worth right. it, in my opinion. So, I yeah, I've had to... Go ahead. I'm Go sorry. ahead. No, finish your thought. You finish your thought. No, no. I forgot what I was going to say. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> You're in circle one. That's why. Um, no, I, what I wanted to ask you was, you know, I talked about this with the panel and, and I want to sort of put this into, to, uh, your thought process here for a second. You know, the, the industry as a whole right now and, and has been for some time is, is focusing a lot of their energy, uh, and rightly so I understand that, you know, we go back to that, that sort of catchphrase growing the game, um, on, on junior golfers and, and new golfers to the fold, if you will. But there are a lot of golfers, as you know yourself, that are, you know, in their late 40s, 50s, and and beyond, um, that have been playing the game for a while, that have become frustrated. And I think a lot of it is because, as you point out, 
they've been floating around with this circle one mentality for such a long time. Right. And they've tried everything. They've, you know, they've visited every guru on the planet and they're still having an issues. And I understand why, because you've, you've explained that. But what you're offering here tonight through your, excuse me, wired to win program, pardon me, is really a, a solution to what's causing a lot of these problems and allowing them to move in a different direction. So right. if somebody that has been, been playing for 10, 20, 30 years and, and falling into the same you know, circle of uh, a trap, if you will, how quickly can they expect working through your program to start seeing results? Well, you will see results from day one, from law number one. Law number one is the law of awake and asleep. So the first thing that needs to happen is you need to wake up. And I, uh, law number one has a way, a very easy and quick way of waking people up. And as soon as you wake up, you're able to make new choices in situations in the past where you were basically just run by your circle one habits. Okay. That's the difference. So literally from day one, uh, you start to wake up and you're in circle two right away. That's the beauty of the, of the, of the seven law system is that as soon as you learn the law, you have three days to do an, an exercise everywhere you go on and off the golf course. And as you do that exercise, it's basically a check-in question. So if you check in, if your listeners checked in for the next three days and asked this question, am I awake or asleep right now? As soon as they started to react to something or as soon as they started to go offline or, you know, off-center, get angry, get frustrated, get depressed, get whatever, as soon as you notice yourself getting offline, check in and ask, am I awake or asleep right now? A wonderful thing is going to happen because your brain is going to answer that question. It's going to say to you, dude, you are dead asleep. You do this all the time. You always act like this every time this situation happens. And in that moment, you're now awake. You're in circle two automatically. And that's the beauty of it. You don't have to work to get into circle two. Asking that question puts you into circle two without any effort at all. And in that moment, you have a window of opportunity to make a new choice because you're awake and now you make a conscious choice and you do something completely different than you would have done normally. And that's just law number one. And I've had people, I, you know, I joke around, I, I joke around with my clients all the time. We have a great relationship. And when they call me for the second session, and they tell me of their experience with the circle one, or I'm sorry, with a awake and sleep check-in, and they tell me all these great things that happen, I kind of joke with them and say, oh, well, that's great. Look at all these wonderful things you're now experiencing. You're more confident. You're making better choices. You start to realize the power that you have, take control of yourself and your game, and blah, 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 blah. And then I say to them, okay, looks like we're done. And I hang up on them. <laughs> and I can hear them. <laughs> I can hear I can hear their voices as I'm hanging up going no 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 wait and then I, and then I of course I call them back because I'm joking around and they go look man if I got this much out of out of law number one I need to hear the rest of them I said I, well, I was just kidding of course you're gonna get the rest of them you already you already paid me for it I was just joking but I do that all the time with people because they're so shocked that they're getting such uh such an impact 
just from doing the little check-in exercise everywhere they go. And they do it in the car. They do it in the grocery store. They do it with their significant others. They do it with their kids. They do it with their coworkers. They do it on the golf course. You can't overdose in these exercises. You just can't. It's the beauty of it. So the beauty of this format is you don't have to work hard to get into circle two. You're automatically in it. And each one builds on the one before. So like I said, you know, people, you know, they're nice and they're being kind and they, they call me a genius. And that's nice for my ego and all that, I guess. But it's not true. I'm not a genius. I didn't invent these laws. I didn't, I didn't put human beings together. I didn't create a human being that has a mind, a body, emotions, and energy. I didn't do that. All I did was uncover these laws, and I gave them a name, and I put them in a sequence. I didn't create the laws. I didn't create the laws. So, you know, but people are so thankful. I love the emails I get from people who are just so thankful that they, they had an opportunity to do something like this, and finally something worked. You, you went to my website. I don't know if you actually yep. went to the golf website or not now, based on what you told yes, me earlier. But if you do go to the golf website, you'll see the testimonials there. They're fabulous. I couldn't even written them on my own. I couldn't make up the kind of testimonials that are on there. They're really wonderful, and they make me feel great. I love doing them. You know, and that's, that's really the key, um, you know, David, is – when you are passionate about something and you believe in something as, as I know you do with, with your wire to win program, you know, it, it becomes very easy and very uh, exciting to want to share that information. And, and I agree with you, you know, from this standpoint, you know, I, I think as an industry, and, and I said this earlier when I was talking with the guys on the panel, you know, it, what I try to do with, with my shows is I try to create, a learning experience for people, um, for fellow professionals to share th their thoughts and ideas with, because I think that's important. And I stay away, as I, as I pointed out to you yesterday, you know, I certainly am involved in social media, obviously, to promote the show and things like that. But I don't get caught into the traps of, uh, you know, he said, she said, and this, that, and the other through social media, because I think it's, it's detrimental to the industry. But one of the things that, yeah. that I think is, has been, been, been hurtful uh, and it's not just in the golf industry, but it's in every industry, is the reluctance to change. You know, an idea will come in and it, it suddenly, there's like a huge tidal wave of thought process going into that idea and, it, and the momentum just keeps going and going. And it might go that route for five years, 10 years, and it may not be the right solution for whatever the, the situation is. And an industry right. becomes crippled or stagnant. And I think that's happened for a lot of industries, and it has happened also in the golf industry. And I think the first thing really the industry needs to do is acknowledge that a lot of what they're doing may or may not be truly helpful uh, to the golfers uh, or to the industry right. as a whole. And that's something right. that's is not, a, is not an easy pill sometimes for anybody to have to take. So what, what, the reason why I say that is, you know, when I hear you talking about your program is in a sense what you're doing is the opposite of that, is you're actually introducing people to uh, a way that is going to sort of unleash the burdens that they've been carrying or the baggage that they've been carrying for possibly decades in some cases and right. really to re rethink the process. And can that's I, something. Can that I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Can I rephrase that a little bit? I'm sure. I'm not really unleashing the baggage. I'm 
I'm actually ignoring the baggage. And what they're right. unleashing is their power, their power, a power they didn't know they had. It's incredible that they didn't know. And I didn't know. Nobody taught us this in school. I had to learn this outside of, of school. I learned these things. A lot of this stuff was innate to me, and a lot of it I learned through trial and error. But I'm not unleashing anything except the power that has already existed. They already have the tools. They already have the mind, the body, the emotion, the energy. They already have all the tools they need. All they need to do is understand how those tools are working together to create the experiences that they're having over and over and over again. So when I first started right. this, I used to put up on my website, you know, change the way you play the game forever. I had the word forever up there. And people used to call me and go, come on, man, forever? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I was like, well, right. I know that doesn't, that doesn't sound good. But the reality is these laws are going to be effective 50 years from now as much as they are today. You're going to be able to rely on them today, next week, six months from now, because they're never going to change. They're just like the law of gravity. Everybody understands the law of gravity. And these laws are just exactly like that. You can do whatever you want about the law of gravity. You can believe it. You can not believe it. You can love it. You can hate it. It doesn't really matter. The law of gravity is going to always do what it does, regardless of what we think. And these laws are exactly the same. It doesn't matter if somebody believes these laws when I teach it to them because they're still going to govern everything they do, whether you believe it or not. So that's one of the things I tell people right off the bat is your belief is not required. So you can imagine when I say that to the big egos that I work with, they immediately right. try to resist that. I mean, what are you saying, Dave? Are you telling me my belief doesn't matter? And I'm going, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. Your belief in the laws is completely irrelevant. They don't care what you think. They don't care whether you believe them or not. They're still going to do what they do. So I think I, I said this to you yesterday when we spoke. If we're up in an airplane and going to parachute, and before you step out, you turn to me and you say, hey, Dave, I don't believe in gravity. Okay, great. <laughs> when you step out, you're going down. Why? Because that's the law. That's the law. It's not my opinion. I got nothing to do with it. It's the law. So right. gravity doesn't care what you think or what you believe or what your opinion of it is. And everybody gets that. Everybody gets that when I say it to them. They, they say, yeah, Dave, I understand. Okay. I get that, that my opinion and belief in, in those laws in gravity and physics and planting, I get that my belief doesn't affect how they operate. But what they don't get is that there are laws that govern their game the same way as the law of gravity and the law of physics and the law of planting operate. They're undeniable, and you can't change them. You can't. All you can do is ignore them, but they're still producing outcomes. That's what a law does, Ted. That's the definition of a law. It's true for everyone, everywhere, and at all times, and every law produces an outcome. So when you learn the seven laws, you immediately see how they've been producing outcomes all these years for you. It's fabulous, fabulous. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think what is important, too, for a lot of people to understand is, and, and we've talked about this on, on my show many, many times, you know, one of the biggest problems that we see as teach professionals is golfers wanting to come and fix, you know, their slice or they want to come and fix 
um, you know, a specific area of their game. And really, a lot of that can be cured by doing what you're talking about here tonight, um, by just, you know, um, learning how to, you know, close the, the door, if you will, to circle one. And a lot of people don't do that. You know, we, we can give them a lesson today and they'll come back and still have the same problem. And it doesn't matter what they try, they're still having the same problem because the same thought process is still going through their mind and they yeah. haven't turned that off at this point. So I, I agree 100%. Um, well, you're, you're making a great point. And I've tried to talk to the people that are higher up in the PGA and in the teaching associations uh, and, and express to them that the teachers themselves are not aware of it. They're not aware that they're talking to their students and those students are existing in circle one and they don't realize that they're dumping really good information into their circle one and that's why they're not getting it. So if the teacher understands that circle one and circle two are, are exist and they're real, they can alter the way they communicate with their students and everything would start to change. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I'd like for you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you can offer the listeners here maybe a great exercise. Yeah. Uh, let's say let's go with what I call the tension rater drill. Tension rater drill. And you can do this on your own. You go to the driving range and you pull out uh, 10 balls. And here's what you do. You hit one ball at a time. And as soon as you're done hitting the shot, you immediately rate the tension level on a certain area of your body. So let's say, because tension, every golf pro will tell me, tension is the great killer of the golf swing. So instead of dealing with all the, all the ways that tension can happen, you go to the range and you do this drill, but you pick a spot. Let's say that you want to focus on the tension in your, in your hands. So you hit a shot. And then as soon as you hit the shot, you immediately rate from 1 to 10, with 10 being very high and 1 being very low. You rate the tension level. So let's say you hit ball number 1, and you immediately hit the shot, and you go, oh, 8. My hands were tight. Okay. Now, the big mistake that golfers make with this is they're basically rating the results of the shot. This has nothing to do with the results. We don't care if, if you... If you hit a screamer on the ground, it doesn't matter. We're not rating the shot. We're rating the tension in your body. Is that clear? Yep. We're rating the tension. But, again, you must pick a spot. So I'm using the hands right now. So ball number one, eight. Okay. So what do you do between ball number one and ball number two? You're automatically going to come up with a way to kind of reduce the tension in your hands. You're going to come up with things on your own. I don't have to tell you what to do. You're naturally going to come up with some ideas. That, okay, let me try to reduce the tension in my hand a little bit. You might start shaking them out. You might start wiggling your fingers. You might start thinking differently, whatever. You'll come up with something. So then you hit ball number two. And as soon as you strike it, immediately come up with a number. Uh, seven. Okay, not much of a change. And you do this ball after ball after ball. And you're going to jump up and down. You're going to go eight. You're going to go seven. You're going to go uh, five, nine, three. Oh, three. Oh. Anytime you get anything four down, four and down, you stop for a second. And here's the beauty of this drill. 
the mind loves reference points. So when you get a three, which means you're pretty relaxed, your mind and your body are going to remember what a three feels like. And that's the beauty of this exercise. So you keep hitting balls until you start bringing that number down and you look at each shot one at a time. That's another inherent beauty of the exercise. You can't, if you have a three, the big mistake that many golfers will make is they'll try to get another three. And of course they're trying too hard. Right. And it doesn't work. Right. So they'll have a, they'll have a three and then they'll go, Oh, nine, you know, well, nine, because you, you tried, you tried to duplicate right. the tree. How many golfers do this on the golf course, Ted? A lot of golfers oh. do that. They hit a great shot, right. and then they go try to duplicate it, and they can't understand why they screwed up. This is why. So when you get that three, you understand that the next ball is a completely new opportunity. That's one of the inherent uh, benefits of this drill. You start to see that each shot is a brand-new opportunity. So you're eight, seven eight, five, nine, four, eight, three, five, three, five, three, three, three. You, want, you end up doing three a few times, which is pretty cool. But the great thing is when you go out on the golf course and you're starting to feel a little tension, all you have to do is think the number three and your body will respond. It, it'll, if I could speak for the body, it would say, oh, Three, I remember what that was like. I remember how that felt. And all of a sudden, your body starts to become aligned, and you start to sink in, and your body starts to relax. Your muscles start to relax automatically because it knows what a three feels like. And then you can go set up and hit your shot from a, from a place of three instead of a place of nine. And it's a really cool drill that you can do on your own. And, in fact, you can do it with another person you know, and do it back and forth with each other and see what numbers you come up. You can't rate for somebody else. You can only rate for yourself. So right. once again, it's not about the results. It's about the level of tension that you're feeling in the body part that you picked out to do the exercising. So if your listeners go practice that one little exercise, they can reduce the tension in their golf swing by a rather huge percentage amazing yeah and that can add up to a much better golf swing overall tension is is probably a, a huge issue for a lot of our club golfers out there great uh, great course. tip and great uh, drill uh david uh for the listeners to to uh, adopt well david Did i, I hate to say this but we've Oh, yeah you, you explain it perfect and uh okay. the one beauty of this program make- is yeah, no, you, you explained it perfectly, and uh, the beauty of, of this program, even though we're live right now, uh, it will be auto-recorded. So for those of you listening to the show, if uh, you're quite uh, maybe a little unclear about that, you can go back and listen to uh, the show again, and it'll always be there in the on-demand section. Um, David, we got to wrap up. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I want to give you an opportunity, uh, again, to, to make the offer and also to direct uh, the listeners where they can go uh, to not only learn more information, but also to uh, look into uh, getting involved with the Wired to Win uh, program. Okay. Well, you can go to my website, www.mentalgolfcoaching.com. And on that website, you'll see my digital products, the Wired to Win Seven Laws digital product. You'll see a tab for personal coaching. And like I mentioned before, 
if you contact me, there's a contact me page also, or you can send me an email. If you contact me in any way, whether you call me or send me an email, just mention Golf Talk Live, and you will get a two or $300 discount for live coaching. Now, the live coaching is obviously the best way. The digital products are great. You still learn the seven laws. The only difference is you don't get to talk to me. So you're basically listening and learning, and you will always benefit from that. Anybody who does the live coaching gets the digital version thrown in. It's automatically thrown in for you. But the live coaching, you get the, you get the digital version, and you're going to get the discount when you mention Golf Talk Live or Ted's name. And that is the most active approach of all. As with anything else, when you're getting live coaching, that is the most effective way to do anything. I think most people understand that. Very good. Well, David, I want to thank you very much, first and foremost, for, for coming on and being my special guest this evening and for really shedding light on, uh, I think, an area that a lot of people struggle with, not just in the golf uh, uh, circle, if you will, but outside as well. And I know they, they can benefit from, from this information uh, both on and off the golf course. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, again, go to uh, um, mentalgolfcoaching.com, which is David's website, and uh, you can find all the information there as well. David, I'm going to have you come back on in the new year. We're getting close to wrapping up my season for, the, uh, for this year, but I would love to have you come back in the new year, and we can talk even more about uh, not only Wired to Win, but just about uh, the, uh, the overall uh, program uh, that, you're, that you're offering here. I think it's great, and I think it's something that uh, the industry should certainly uh, adopt but I appreciate you coming well, on tonight and sharing with my audience. That would be wonderful. I'd be happy to do that. I would love to have you do that, and uh, I look forward to uh, to talking to you soon. David, again, thank you very much for being my special guest tonight, and uh, I will be in touch with you soon. Thank you, Ted, and good luck, everybody. All right. Thank you. All right. That was my very special guest, David Breslow, uh, the founder of Performance Success Strategies, and also the creator of Wired to Win, a one-of-a-kind model for fast, reliable improvement. Uh, again, if you go to uh, David's website, mentalgolfcoaching.com, uh, all of his contact information there, you can reach out to him. And uh, I, I definitely uh, would strongly encourage you uh, to uh, get that involved in that program, uh, Wired to Win. I think it's a great program. Uh, I know we only touched on a little bit of it here tonight, but I think you got an overall idea uh, of what he's talking about. And of course, uh, in his program, you'll get into much more in depth of, of uh, some of the specifics. Um, and also, as he mentioned, uh, if you uh, give the name of Golf Talk Live uh, as the uh, promo code, if you will, uh, you'll receive uh, some discounts as well. So uh, a win-win for everybody. Um, again, I want to thank uh, everybody on the show tonight, Bill Abrams, Brian Dobby, and Pete Buchanan uh, for jumping in on the Coach's Corner panel. And also, uh, my special guest this evening, uh, David Breslow, the creator of Wired to Win. Uh, thank you guys for, for doing a great job. Uh, you will see me next Tuesday here on the blogtalkradio.com network uh, with uh, my very special guest, Michael Nichols, uh, from the Symmetra Tour. He's the chief business officer that will be on the Women of Golf show on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern. Next Tuesday, he'll be coming on to uh, help me wrap up the uh, season-ending uh, Symmetra Tour. Uh, we'll be talking about the 2019 season and what uh, they've got in store for 2020. So I hope you'll join me then. And then I'll be back next Thursday 
for another great uh, discussion here on the Coach's Corner panel and then a very special guest uh, to follow on uh, the uh, second half here on Golf Talk Live. So thank you, everybody. God bless. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.